The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning on the fact that he has given us his spirit, that uh, we are his, his temple, and uh, we'll discuss that. If you'll take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, we're going to pick up in verses 16 and 17 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verses 16 and 17 this morning. And as you are uh, turning there, of course, we've been studying here on Sunday mornings through this series uh, that is entitled Reset. And the purpose for the title of Reset is because as the Apostle Paul is writing to this church here, he is encouraging them, re- encouraging them to reset their minds, to reset their heart on uh, what matters most, onto the things of God, on uh, to the, His will and to His ways. Uh, we saw that in the first part of chapter number one. We ex- saw Paul's heart, to, uh, heart of gratitude in uh, chapter number one as well. And then he began to discuss some things that were amiss within the church. He started discussing some of the, the problems and contentions. Their contentions were made known and uh, were, were, were uh, showing greatly uh, their immaturity. And uh, their immaturity was shown because of the fact that where they should have been able to handle the things, the deeper things of the Word of God, the more meteor things, as Paul would put it, they were still needing milk, if you may. And uh, they were still immature as babes in Christ. And uh, as we go along here this morning, we're going to find that as the Apostle Paul is uh, discussing these matters with the uh, church here at Corinth, uh, we remember that as we concluded in verse number 15 a couple of weeks ago, that the Apostle Paul is using an analogy, he's using an illustration of that of a construction site. If you might remember that, right? Back in chapter 3 and verse number 9, he says at the very last part, he says that they are God's building, and uh, he talks about the process and the the materials which that could be built with, and we'll discuss that more in just a bit. Um, But as we read here in verse number 16 here this morning, we find he's continuing Continuing on with that thought of construction or building. And look at verse number 16 with me, please, this morning. Chapter 3 of verse number 16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the uh, Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Our Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that your love was displayed. Uh, when you uh, sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be able to give his life a ransom for many. We thank you for not only the fact that it was displayed, but we thank you for the fact that your love and your goodness was experienced the the moment that we accepted you as our personal Savior. And so, God, I ask now that as we consider that thought of who we are as believers today, that you'd help us to remember that you have bought us with a great price and uh, that we are not our own. And so, Lord, help us to glorify you, help us to uplift you. Give me the word to speak as I deliver the message. Help me to say nothing more and nothing less than what you would want to be said to your people here today so that we might honor and glorify you through it and that your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, last time we met and considered this passage just prior to this, 
And we remember that uh, there was a comparison uh, between the work that could be done and, and uh, whether it be for the Lord or whether it be for self. And that analogy that he used had several different parts. If you look back at verse number nine with me, just as way of introduction here this morning, he says, for we are laborers together with God, for ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And that analogy has several different parts in it, of course. In verse number nine, he first said that Apollos and him himself as Paul were just simply God's laborers. They were just simply God's workers. They were the instruments or the tools in which God would use to bring his work, to bring his message here uh, to mankind. He then says that the field or the place of work begins there in the church, as he said, that ye are God's husbandry. And, And of course, then that's where we are equipped, that we are ready to go out and we take the gospel message outside these walls, of course, and tell others about the love of the Savior. Then, of course, Paul calls at the last part of verse number nine, the church of, of Christ, God's building. And, uh, of course, as we continue to move on through this portion of Scripture, in verse number 16 and 17, we find that Paul is continuing on with, with this analogy. And he says uh, that we are the temple of God. Now, of course, if you've ever considered about uh, building anything or putting anything together, you know that you need materials and the proper materials to be able to accomplish that. And just prior to this, we find in verse number 12 that the Apostle Paul gives some options on the materials that could be used. The first half of the list is that of gold and silver and precious stones. And as he discusses those materials... He says that if we are to use those and construct our life on the good things and the the precious things of the Word of God, then what that will promote will will ultimately be things like holiness and spiritual maturity, love and forgiveness, generosity, sacrifice, and then ultimately glory and honor to the Lord. And the reason for that is because those things we just discussed, those things that are the outcome or the product of what is developed if you use the the materials that the Lord has set aside and has seen fit for service, uh, the reason why it brings honor and glory unto God is because, listen, those things like holiness, spiritual maturity, love, and compassion, those, those are not man's natural responses to life, is it? When we look at our world today, our world's in a mess, and we can see hatred abounding. We can see selfishness abounding. We don't see a lot of love and putting somebody else before themselves. And so when those things are evident, when those things are the product, when holiness and and so on are the product, then we have to come to the conclusion that the only reason they're the product is because what was built in our life was given to us by God himself. And so God ultimately gets the honor and the glory for it. But on the other hand, verse number 12 goes on with a list. Not only does it say gold, silver, precious stones, it talks about wood, hay, and stubble. Now, we can, we, on the other hand, we can work and we can use the materials of ourself and the, and the world's ways, and we can use it in such a way that it would ultimately produce something that isn't durable for longevity. It isn't ultimately uh, of anything that is value for the eternity and for the things of God. And so in essence, what you could say is that the, we're, we're all building our life on something. And we're all building our, our life in some way. But we can be guilty of building our life in such a way that when everything is said and done, that uh, we just kind of spent our time and energy in the wrong priorities. 
We put priorities in place in our life because that's what led how we built our life and what we put as important in our life. Those were priorities, but they were the wrong priorities. And therefore, we spent and wasted our energy on priorities that were not the Lord's. How many of you have been driving down the road, construction work going out, on out in the highway or on the road, and you've got all the cones lined up there, right? The, the big old sign with the flashing lights, get over, get over, get over. And you've got that one that has to wait till the last minute and try to squeeze in there. You know how it goes. You might be that one. I don't know. Uh, but uh, you, you're driving, you're approaching the construction area there on the road. And as you're approaching the one area, I mean, you're talking like 10 or 12, 20 miles of cones and one little bitty 10 by 10 foot frame where there's actual work going on. And you finally get to that point and you see one guy with a hard hat on. And he's got his vest and he's got the jackhammer, all that's going on, everything. But he's got like 10 other people standing around him. They got like this leaning on the shovel. You got the other guy that's kind of like scratching his head. He doesn't know where he's at. You know, they're all part of the crew, right? And they've got the hard hats on also. They've got the vest, but they're standing there just watching the work get done, not really bringing anything to the table for the work to get done. My favorite are the people when you have to like follow the pilot car, right? I want that job. I want to be in the air conditioning, driving back and forth on the road while somebody else is out in the heat, all right? That's the, but that's my favorite, right? But what I'm saying is you got the ones, you, you're watching them, and they're, they're part of the crew, they're part of the team, but they're really not bringing any, any profit, any benefit to the work as they're just standing there watching. In essence, what we could learn and what we can understand is that as we build our life, as, if we're a believer, we're all part of the team, we're part of the crew, we've got the hard hat on, we've got the, the neon vest, if you may, but unfortunately, because of the way that our priorities are, not on the things of God, but on ourselves and what we want and what we think would be best, we're not really bringing anything of value to the construction side, if you may. And that's what Paul is trying to help the church at Corinth to an extent to understand. And then he goes on to remind the church that, hey, there's going to be a judgment one day. The Lord's going to look at our works, and He's going to look at the things we've done and what we've built our life upon, and He's going to assess, and it's going to be evident. It's going to be obvious on whether or not what we built our life upon was for God's honor and for His glory and for His work and His ways, or whether or not it was for our own selfish desires and whether or not it will just bring temporary, temporary satisfaction or not. Now we move forward in this chapter as we read verses 16 and 17 this morning. As we continue on and as we, in the weeks ahead, we'll close out this chapter and move on into chapter 4. We'll notice that Paul is continuing on with the same analogy, the same thought, the same illustration of building and construction, if you may. And let me ask you something. If you've ever had anything that has been constructed, maybe your hands were part of the reason why it was constructed, maybe you bought it already constructed, but you had something that was constructed, put together, built, how many of you know that it needs to be maintained after a while? How many of you own a vehicle or drove here in a vehicle today? Raise your hand. I hope you didn't walk, all right? But if you rode in a vehicle, raise your hand, all right? And how many of you with your vehicle, either you have done it yourself or taken it to the shop to have the oil changed? Raise your hand. Let me see. Okay. 
Okay, I'm seeing some people with not raising their hands. I'm worried for you right now because your car might just break down on the way home. You need to change the oil in your vehicle. That's, that's, that's necessary maintenance, all right? How many of you know if you own a home, there's some things you got to do around the house to keep it up? Sometimes touch-up paint, sometimes the uh, dishwasher goes out, or whatever the case might be. There's some routine, uh, necessary maintenance that goes on. Anything that has been built, anything that has been constructed, is going to need maintenance along the way. Now, Paul is using this analogy of building and, and, uh, and, and construction to liken it to our life as believers individually and as a church as a whole also. Now, we understand that we are gods and that the church is gods. But being made up of sinful human beings, our life is still bent towards corruption. And therefore, if our life is going to be lived for God day in and day out, if our church is going to be focused on accomplishing the work of God day in and day out, I would submit to you this morning that there's going to be some need for some maintenance in our life and in our church every once in a while. Now, when it comes to maintenance, there's two types of maintenance. There can be routine or preventative maintenance, things that you do regularly and on purpose, even when it's not necessary yet, so that you don't have a bigger problem later on down the road, like an oil change and things like that. But then there's also necessary maintenance. Sometimes we've neglected an area. Maybe there was something we weren't aware of, and a problem has consisted uh, and persisted for so long, but now we've got to address this or else what? We're at danger of losing it, right? We're at danger of complete loss because of it. And notice here that the Apostle Paul is writing to this church, and he's addressing the fact that they have some maintenance that needs to be done, but the maintenance is not just a routine maintenance. It is not just something that to, to, uh, a, to facilitate not having any bigger problems. They're in this time where it's necessary. They're in trouble if they don't fix some things right now. And so let's consider how the Apostle Paul goes forward in this portion of Scripture with that analogy. And return with me in verse number 16. And notice with me as we consider this thought this morning, the maintenance for the house of God. Maintenance for God's house. Number one, notice in verse number 16, God's house defined. In verse number 16, Paul asks a question. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, Paul has, dwelt, uh, has dealt already in great detail, in fact, uh, with the promised fact that there will be judgment for the labor. There will be judgment for the work we've done. There will, God will determine, he will look at us and say whether or not what we did was for him or for self. He's already dealt with that previous in verses 9 through 15. Now, in verses 16 and 17, he is not just focusing on a future judgment, but he's focusing on the fact that God is taking account of how we are living right here and right now in the present as well. In view of the judgment seat of Christ, it's imperative that we get our lives in order, obviously, because we want to stand before God and hear the words, well done, not what did you do, right? We don't want to stand before God with the time he's blessed us with and the time he's been gracious to give us and to say we've squandered it for things that are just temporal, we want to be able to say we used it for, th for things that matter for eternity as we stand before God. But listen, with that in mind, it's imperative that we start now, not later. It's imperative that we strive to serve Him now and, let him uh, and yield to Him and let Him work in our lives right now. Now, 
Notice with me that God defines his house in verse number 16. He says, know ye not that ye, that word ye is a plural uh, pronoun there. It's speaking of the believers as a whole. Why? Because he's speaking to a church. This is the book of 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul has written to a church in a city called Corinth. But let me ask you a question here, church. Who makes up the church? Believers do. So while he's talking to them as a corporate body, it also has, a, has an aspect of dealing with them individually. Because listen, if it was just a bunch of group of unbelievers that gathered together, it's not a church. It's a bunch of believers that have gathered together, and he's discussing it here. And look at the question he asks. Know ye not. Know ye not. Now, last Sunday night, as Dr. Shetler was preaching, he would mention that sometimes our success in our life for Christ is based off of the things that we choose to forget, right? How many remember that last Sunday night? And I would agree with that fact, but I think there's a dichotomy there as well, because also I believe that a lot of our failures in our Christian life is because of what we have failed to remember. We failed to remember whose we are. We failed to remember that we've been bought with a price. We go throughout our life, throughout the week, and yeah, we have our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday life, and then we have our Sunday life, and that's what we give to God, but all the rest of the weeks, days of the week, it's whatever we want, whatever I desire, whatever I hope to accomplish, and we fail to forget that we are not Christians just Sunday morning, but we are His every day, every moment. And I think some of the problems that we have in our Christian life is a failure to remember that we've been bought with a price. That's what Paul asks here. Know ye not? Do you not remember that who you are today is because of what Christ has done for you already on Calvary's cross and rising again? This is a phrase that Paul was not uh, shy of using either. We find that Paul not only used it here in chapter 3 and verse 16, he used it in chapter 5 and verse number 6. He used it again in chapter 6 and verse number 2, verse number 9, and verse number 15. He used it in chapter 9 and verses 13 through 24 in several different places. He would use it in his letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 16 and Romans 11 and verse number 2. This was not an unfamiliar phrase to Paul, but it was something that he was prone to using regularly, calling believers to remember what God had done for them. So church here, let me, let me call this to your remembrance today. Let me remind you about us as our, our privilege as believers. And notice with me the believer's privilege. The first part of verse number 16, what does Paul say? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Now that's an interesting statement because obviously we are not a temple that has a door, you know, and, uh, and halls and different rooms as, as we might think of temples uh, in our world today or temples in the Old Testament. But it is an awesome truth that the body of the believer is the Holy Spirit's temple or indwelling place. Christ himself, before he ascended to heaven, he promised this, I'm going, but I'm going to send you a better one. I'm going to send you the comforter. And when we accept Christ as our Savior, as a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells us at that very moment. Now, when we consider the temple, that, that, that illustration or that building of the temple, we can't help but think back to the amazing temple that Solomon built in the Old Testament. 
man Solomon finished the building of his magnificent temple in Jerusalem. He would end that time with a dedication of a, a truly great prayer, one of the greatest in the Bible we'll talk about in just a moment. But picture it with me. There the temple stood there on the mount of Mount Moriah. It was all polished up. It was shining and shimmering uh, with polished stone and, and gleaming gold. I mean, no expense had been spared for the production of this temple. Armies of men, not just a few, armies of men had toiled for over seven years to produce what was indeed maybe uh, one of the most unsung wonders of the known world. As part of the dedication, Solomon not only prayed, but he also uh, sacrificed thousands of oxen and thousands of sheep. He, he, he called for a nationwide, week-long feast for his people to take place. But in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, in verse number 18, we find his prayer of dedication. And as he's dedicating this temple to the Lord, he asks a question. All the work and all the preparation, all the expenses that went into the temple, he still has this curiosity about him as he prays. And he prays in 2 Chronicles 6 and 18, he says, Will God in very deed dwell with men on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. He said, we've, we've spared no expense. We've gone to great lengths to have this place for God to live. But is it still good enough for our magnificent God? And we know God would meet with his people there in the temple. Sacrifices would be brought there. And this is an interesting thought that in Paul's day, as he's writing here to the church at Corinth, that the Jewish people had an inordinate affection for the temple that was erected in those days. It wasn't the same temple that Solomon had built. That, built, that temple had been destroyed uh, back when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had came in and brought the children of Israel into captivity. There would be an opportunity for the walls to be rebuilt at Jerusalem and so on as, as uh, Darius would allow them to go back. And there would be different times. But this temple in particular at this time was the temple that actually Herod had built. It wasn't even actually a, officially the Jews' temple. It was just kind of on loan to them. But they still had this inordinate affection for it. No wonder Stephen kind of signed his own death warrant when he said these words in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 48. Solomon built him, speaking of God and house. Here's Stephen's words though. Howbeit the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Oh my, did that strike to the heart of the Jews around him that day. So much so that they picked up stones and began to stone Stephen to death. How, how dare this man say that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. That is one of the most wonderful places that we could ever attend. That is the most wonderful place we could ever go. How dare you say that God doesn't dwell there. But Stephen was trying to get them to understand something, friends. That God doesn't need a place of stone. He doesn't need a place of wood. After Christ had died and, and gave his life for our sins, the Bible says the veil in the temple was torn in two. And now he is the one that stands in our place. No high priest, but the great high priest stands in our place before God. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell our hearts. Talk about love. Talk about goodness, friends. Good, the goodness of God in the fact that we as believers have the great privilege of having God Almighty live in our lives today. But notice the believer's possession also. Verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. It's not just the privilege to be able to have the Holy Spirit, but as believers, we possess the Holy Spirit. 
God has no need for temples made out of marble or out of gold, but he has willingly, my friends, listen, he has willingly condescended to live in the body of believers today. If Solomon built such a great temple and it was questioned, can God indeed dwell there? What about this body of flesh? But yet God still indwells us. What an amazing thought. The believer's possession. That's a thought above all thoughts, in my opinion, that we have God. Consider with me God's house defined. But secondly, notice as we move into verse number 17, notice God's house defiled. Verse 17 starts off like this, if any man defile the temple of God. Now, if, if the body, if our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and that's the thought of all thoughts, then this, in verse, starting off verse number 17, has to be the horror of all horrors. Because if God indwells us, but we can defile His dwelling place, oh my, oh my, what a predicament it is. We find that the word defile there in verse number 17 means to mar or to corrupt. And notice with me the character of this corruption. It's interesting that throughout history, throughout Jewish history especially, the Jews were persistently defiling the temple of God. We find in 2 Kings chapter 16 that King Ahaz, uh, he met with the king of Assyria there in Damascus and Man, he became infatuated with the pagan altar that was there in that city. So he had a pattern of that altar made up, sent it ahead to Jerusalem with word that when he returned to Jerusalem, that the replica of that, uh, of that altar was to be put into the temple. So when he returned to Jerusalem, guess what? He gets that replica of the altar, and not only does it put it in the temple, but he puts it in the temple and replaces that altar, with that altar where the brazen altar should have been in the temple, and therefore kind of unceremoniously pushed God's altar out to one side. We find in 2 Kings chapter 21 that Manasseh did something similar as well. Not only did he replace the altar, but he dedicated the altar further than just to God, one Jehovah God. In 2 Kings chapter 21 and verse number 5, we find that he, he dedicated that altar to all the hosts of heaven. <laughs> it's not all enough that he brought in a pagan altar into the place of God's temple. But then he took that altar and dedicated it to whatever gods might be out there as well. No wonder God sent Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians there to take the children of Israel in the exile for those 70 years, to destroy the temple, to tear down the walls of Jerusalem and so on. No wonder that was the response of God because they had continually over and over and over bent to idolatry and had taken God out of the equation. Can I remind you before we get too down on the Jews though, that if our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost here today, how prone are we to defiling that temple as well? There's all kinds of ways that we can defile the temple. Through the things we read, through the movies that we watch, or the things that we see, the habits that we are, are prone to indulging in, the lusts that we express, the thoughts that we entertain. And I could go down a list of things, of ways that we could uh, uh, just literally uh, defile the body, defile the temple that God has given us. And you could probably then add more to that as well. But I'm not here to tell you, here's all the things, but the Holy Spirit of God can. My prayer today is that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to our hearts, every one of us as individuals, and tell us where we might be off 
and where we might be hindering, uh, where, where we might be um, uh, just uh, squelching the Holy Spirit in our life. But I want to remind you before we go any further this morning that the, that the individual is not the only thing that God is concerned about in representing Him. Because as we as individuals have the Spirit that indwell us, when we come together as a corporate body, what do we become? The church. And God is supremely interested in how the church represents Him as well. He is interested in how we live our life for Him, but He's also interested in what our church does for His work and His will as well. He is far more concerned with the construction of His temple and the things that, that uh, represent Him than we might even like to uh, admit here today as well. Because look at what the rest of verse number 17 says. Not only do you see His house uh, defiled, but thirdly, notice in verse number 17, we see God's house destroyed. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Paul moves on here, and he, he, we now have how the temple can be destroyed, and that word destroyed, uh, interestingly enough, is the same exact Greek word as rendered defiled earlier on in the verse as well. So here's what we find, if you may, is being said, that God will ruin the ruiner of his temple. God will destroy the destroyer of his temple. Notice the consequences of this corruption here this morning. When we think about what God is saying here, I can't help but remember how Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry strolled up to the temple there and found money changers. He found people using uh, his, his, God's house and turning it in, what did he say it was? He turned it into a temple or of thieves. God goes in and turns over the tables. We see him doing a similar thing at the end of his ministry as well. And he said, it's not going to be a den of thieves, but my house should be known as a house of prayer. Now, the, the uh, Pharisees and, and uh, the Sanhedrin particularly, they had a vested interest in all the things that were sold there. They had found a lucrative business, if you may, in being able to use God's house as a way of being able to, to earn money. But God said, no. I am not going to allow this to be done. And he, 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 he put a stop to their actions. That just continued on in, and fueled the fury of their fire to want them to have, them have him destroyed, to have his life taken, to which, of course, they ultimately did. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, he said that I will pull your temple down. If you're not going to use it for me, if you're not going to use it for my glory and for my worship, I'll destroy that temple. And that he did. Because my friends, better no temple than a corrupt one. You say, hold on a minute, preacher. You just, you just got done saying that our bodies is the temple and the church is his dwelling place also because as we gather together, it's made up of believers. And now you just say that he's going to destroy the temple if it's not used for his will and for his glory. Are you trying to say he's going to, bring, he's going to destroy my life? He's going to destroy the church? I, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, listen, what does Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 have to tell us? Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3 has seven letters to seven churches in an area known as Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey today. In one of those churches in particular, he says to the church of Ephesus, return to your first love. If you don't, I will come quickly and remove your candlestick. 
I'll remove that church out of that place. Let me ask you a question. Were those churches in the book of Revelation real churches? Yes or no, church? Yes, yes they were. Did they have real people attending services there? Yes or no? Did they have a real pastor? Yes or no? Yes, they were, they were, these were literal real places, the real churches. There were seven of them in, in, in modern day, what were the area that would be known as modern day Turkey today. How many of those seven are still churches today? Well, if you don't know the answer, I'll tell you, none. None of them are there. Well, what happened to them? I'll tell you what happened. Idolatry happened. Immorality happened. A desire for their own work and their own ways instead of the ways of God happened. And what God had promised, that if they don't return to their first love, that He would come quickly and remove that candlestick. And so He did. My friends, I'm not trying to be a minister of doom and gloom here this morning. I'm not trying to scare anyone or, to, or anything along those lines. But I am help, wanting us to understand this, that what God thinks about how we represent Him and how we build our life is a lot, I, mean, I think it's a lot more stricter than we like to lean on to. What he expects of us is real. And Paul is reminding this church that they have a will to accomplish. They have a work to accomplish. Not that, that's not their own, but that it's God's. Why? Because they are not their own. They are now the temple of God because they've been bought with a price. I want to drive this thought home real quick this morning. When my family and I moved here to Arizona, began looking for a home, when we found the place that we are currently living, um, when we were going through the buying process, we had an inspection done, all right? The inspector came by and he climbed up on the roof, went into the attic, looked around all the places, and uh, he checked out everything to make sure that the house was in working order the way it ought to be. And if there was anything that wasn't working correctly, he put it into a report. When his, when his process was done, done, he gave us this binder. And this binder on the front, it says, Confidential Inspection Report Prepared for Robert Jennifer Perry. has our address on there, has the date and the inspection time that he was there represented by and so on. But as you open it up, there's these tabs. There's the inspection report. There's a summary report. There's even a glossary of terms that uh, tell us exactly what is meant when this... I'm not the most handy man in the world, so it was beneficial to be able to know what he was talking about when he said, uh, well, this is an air conditioner. Oh, okay, no. <laughs> but uh, it, 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 those type of, this was helpful to know, okay, this is not up to par. This is a little old. I might have to be looking at doing some maintenance on it in the future. It helped us make decisions on if we were going to ask the sellers to fix anything before we moved in. There were certain things that we decided, you know what, it's not that big of a deal right now. We're not going to risk losing the home over this. But it gave us direction on what shape our house was in. Now, the reason I bring this to the pulpit here today is because it's interesting as we are God's house, if you want to put it that way. Here is building. We're, he literally put it that way. Ye are God's building in verse number nine. We looked at that, right? We are the temple of his spirit. It's interesting to me that the Lord also has kind of given us an inspection report called the Bible today. And what Paul is trying to help the church at Corinth to remember, you're God's. And he's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And his will and his way is what ought to guide our maintenance, the routine checkups that need to be done. 
I'm just saying this morning, friends, that as children of an almighty God, it would do us good to go to his inspection report daily and let it do its job and let it work in our life and do some routine preventative maintenance day by day, moment by moment, as he works in our life and shows us where we need to yield to him rather than waiting until things are out of control. And now we have to decide, am I going to yield or face destruction? You say, God's not going to destroy us, pastor. We just think about this love. First John says, God is love. I mean, God, it's a loving God. He's not a, he's not a destructive God. Have you forgot about he, the fact that he's a just God? He's a perfect God. Now, I'm not talking about fire from heaven and hell and brimstone and all that type of thing coming down. But I am saying this this morning that we can take advantage of God's grace one too many times. And we can get to the point where he would say, better no temple than a corrupt one. And what that destruction might look like, we know that the thief cometh but to steal, kill, and to destroy. Whether it be destruction of relationships, whether it be destruction of careers, whether it be destruction of friendships, I don't know what it might look like and how God might work and bring that into our life, but He can allow that. And my friends, what I'm saying this morning is this, that it's better that I wake up tomorrow morning and check out the, the inspection manual and start yielding to let the Spirit do His work on His house than for me to say, nope, it'll be good for another day. What happens, you could, you've probably seen it, there's some leaks uh, that have taken place, and we've done our best to try to keep that up. We had somebody out here actually yesterday up on the roof trying to fix some of those places as well, and uh, hopefully <laughs> that has remedied that and everything. We'll see. But let's, let's just say that I, we just said, ah, forget it. We'll just let it keep on leaking. Eventually, that ceiling tile that's stained right there is not going to be there any longer because it's going to get so soaking wet that it's going to crumble and fall. And if it continues to just drip right there, finally that, that, that carpet's going to get, begin to do what? It's going to mold and mildew, right? It's going to, and then the wood underneath of it is going to start to rot away. And then I'm going to be preaching away one day. I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to fall through the, the, through the platform. And you're going to say, wow, where'd preacher go? And uh, I'm just going to keep preaching from underneath the platform, right? And uh, nothing's going to stop that. But what I'm saying is you let it go long enough, it's going to deteriorate. There's going to be destruction that comes along. We understand that. You drive in your car and the light comes on. You need an oil change. It'll be okay going along a little bit further. Now, all of a sudden, you start hearing a little knocking. That's pretty cool. There's a little rhythm to it. <laughs> and you keep going on until one thing, eventually, there's this big crunk, and now your engine's done. You understand what I'm talking about when it comes to your home, when it comes to your car. I wonder, do you understand what I'm talking about when it comes to your spiritual life? Paul's trying to get them to understand. Know ye not? Know ye not? Church, know ye not? You're not your own. We've been bought with a price. Let the Spirit do His work. And, and, and let us not fight against it. Let us not be the reason why it continues to deteriorate and destruction comes. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, this, the, 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 the message is, is very simple. It is simply this. 
Will we allow the Spirit to have His way? Will we allow the Lord to have His way? Or are we going to continue on trying to do things our way? That's, uh, that's, that's literally the simple thought there this morning. Are we, are we yielding to the Lord? Or are we taking the reins for ourselves? I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, you know what? First off, let me say, I know for sure that I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity with my Savior. Could I just rejoice with you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony of that? I know for sure I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. There's hands all across the auditorium. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. I wonder if there would be anyone here. I don't know everyone's story that well. I look across the auditorium, and I think I've had conversations of some sort with everyone that's here today, at least to a small extent. But that doesn't mean I know your story. That doesn't mean I know that your spiritual condition. I wonder if there might be someone here today who would just be simply honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. I don't know that I've ever been born again. Now, I wouldn't want to embarrass you by any means or anything like that, but I wonder, would, there, would you just say, Pastor, just pray for me because I don't know for sure that I'm saved and that heaven's my home. Could I pray for you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down just a testimony to that? Pastor, just pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. Thank you. Anybody? I just, I, I just don't know that I'm saved. Please pray for me. I don't know that heaven's my home. I just want to simply pray for you today. All right. And one last question. Who here would say, Pastor, honestly, I know that I'm saved. That's settled. But as Paul asked that question in verse 16, know ye not, it just continued to reverberate down through the centuries to my heart today. Is as if the Lord used that, the voice of Paul to remind me once again that I am God's, that I'm not my own, and that God cares much about His dwelling place, that God cares much about how we represent Him. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, the Lord, through His Word, spoke to my heart today. And Pastor, would you pray with me? that I would yield daily to the Spirit, moment by moment to the Spirit in my life, His work in my life, so that, so that He can work His work. He can work His will, work His way, and ultimately bring honor and glory to God because of it. I don't want my way. I want God's work done in my life. If the Lord spoke to, you, to your heart in that way, would you slip your hand up and right back down? I'd like to pray for you in that end. Thank you. Hands all across the auditorium. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray, and when I'm finished praying, the piano is going to begin to play. If you'd like to come to the front here and kneel at the altar, you're welcome. Maybe right there in your seat, you just lift up your heart in humility unto the Lord. Say, Lord, I've kind of tried to take the construction uh, project of my life. I've tried to take the reins of it. And I realize that in my sin, sinful state, as just a sinful human being, that I'm bent towards that destruction. But God, I want to yield to you. I want your work done. And Lord, moment by moment, day by day, I'm asking that you would build your house to be what you'd want it to be. Our Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this day. First off, we thank you for your goodness and love that's displayed. Verse 16 clearly tells us that your spirit indwells us, that we are your, uh, your dwelling place. And God, we thank you for that. What a privilege it is. A great possession to have you in our life daily. Not, not just a moment, not just at, at periods of time, but every single moment of every single day, you abide with us. And God, what a privilege it is. But God, 
we also thank you for the warning that you've given. The fact that we can take advantage of your grace, take advantage of your goodness, and instead of allowing you to reign and, and rule in our heart like you should, we can squelch and, and we can uh, hold you down and, and uh, say, no, I'll, I'll have my way. I'll do my own thing. And ultimately, lead us on the path that could uh, bring destruction and, and, uh, and just trouble into our life. So, Lord, would you help us to yield to your spirit moment by moment and every single day that we might be able to bring honor and glory to you through our life, which is your building. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays this morning, maybe the Lord spoke into your heart and you'd like to come to the front, you're welcome. Uh, maybe uh, right there in your seat, you'd lift up your heart to the Lord as he's spoken to you through his word. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that heaven is your home, that Christ is your personal Savior, understand this simply today, that Jesus loves you. You say, Pastor, how do you know he loves me? Because the Bible tells us that God so loved the world, and that word world is speaking of everyone in it. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but instead have everlasting life. God willingly gave his son, and Jesus willingly came so that he could die on our, in our behalf, so that we could be able to have a home in heaven and a relationship with God. Now, first, knowing that Jesus loves us, but his love compelling him to come and die and to experience the death on the cross and the penalty and the, the pain that he experienced, why did he have to go through that to express his love? Well, because every single one of us are sinners. And the Bible tells us that sin demands a payment. That payment is death, a separation from God for all of eternity. And Jesus took the death that we deserved so that we might have life eternal. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, first know this, that He loves you. Then realize that you are a sinner and you definitely need a Savior. And that He died on the cross, as Romans 5 and verse number 8 says, that God commendeth or demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. Why? Because He wants to give us a gift, a gift of eternal life, a home in heaven for all of eternity. As Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, know this, He loves you. That as a sinner, you need a Savior. That He made a way so that you could be able to be saved. And if you just trust Him today, He would save you. And the great thing about it is this, my friends. Hebrews chapter 5, uh, 13 and verse number 5 says, He'll never leave us or forsake us. Are we going to live a perfect life? No, by no means will we do that. But we're, I'm thankful this morning that his love overcomes all things. And so if you would trust him today by simply maybe lifting up your heart and saying a prayer or something like this, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I deserve hell, but I'm trusting you as my personal savior today. And I'm trusting that you died for me so that I could have a home in heaven. Forgive me of my sin and give me a home in heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. My friend, if you prayed that prayer and you trusted the Lord and you meant it, sincerely, the Bible has been, is clear that he has saved you and you are a child of God. Now, the most important thing that you can do from that point is to grow closer to him in your relationship. If you're here today and maybe you just prayed that prayer, you have questions about praying that prayer and asking Christ as your Savior, I'd love to be able to talk with you after the services today, take you into my office and chat with you a little bit about it so that you can know 100% sure that heaven's your home and have, some, have an action plan 
to help, help you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. But I'm so thankful that you were able to come this morning and be a part of our services today. And I pray that the uh, Word of God has spoken to our hearts in a way that it would draw us closer to Him, a way that we might be able to yield to Him to accomplish His work and His will in our lives. We're going to pray to be dismissed here now. And uh, I do want to encourage you, if you're able, to come back tonight at 6. Our, our patch, the Pirate Club, is going to be performing uh, to kick the uh, service off. And uh, they'll be up here to perform their time. And uh, then we'll continue on with our studies through the book of Luke here this evening as well. And I hope that you have a wonderful afternoon. And I pray that uh, the Lord is just with you in everything that is done and accomplished. So, Brother Jonathan, why don't you pray for us today and ask the Lord to bless us as we go. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your mercy, and your goodness towards us. I pray, Lord, you be with us, guide us, protect us, pray to bring us back safely this evening. And, Lord, I just pray that you'll give us a good week this week. Lord, and just give us your wisdom, Lord, for all the decisions that we have to make. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.